This episode of Ain't That Swell is brought to you by Dr. V, an innovative, feel-good, functional energy drink that is a legitimate, healthy alternative to the toxic, adrenaline-milking, synthetic, soul-sucking garbage swamping the market. (laughs) That's right, we're talking about a full-blown, guilt-free, pump-up beverage that's actually good for you. Dr. V is scientifically formulated by doctors and naturopaths, Smiv, your favourite, and it delivers 100% natural metabolic energy without the damaging side effects of traditional energy drinks, effects such as constipation, flatulence, impotency, and halitosis, and just an overall feeling of fucking dread, mate. Those toxic energy drinks, maybe you know what they're like. Get the dread out of your head with a functional and immunity-building blend to energize every moment and every cell in that thumping, thriving, throbbing organism of yours. It's fast becoming the go-to energy boost for athletes and adventurers, students, professionals, and food-forward well-beings seeking a truly healthy alternative. Dr. V is proudly made in Australia and is a proud support partner of Ain't That Swell. Keep an eye out for all their flavours, four of them, Bender Mender, Karma Karma, Brainstorm, and Siberian Rush. And get on the website, check it out, Dr. V, put in the, uh, the special code, SWELLIAN, and uh, get a discount on your first box of the good gear coming directly to your door. Dr. V, Smiv, crack one open, see you in the head rush zone, my friend. G'day, Swellians, hope you're all going well out there, far out, shit is going pear-shaped, uh, Lots of thoughts going out and well wishes to anyone affected by the rains uh, in southern Queensland and far north New South Wales. Obviously, special place for Smivy and I. A lot of Ain't That Swells recorded in the region and it's absolute devastation up there. No mistake about it. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, you know if you've got anything to give, whether it's food, clothes, a couple of bucks... Just get online, do a bit of sniffing around, find a group or organisation that's on the ground and making an effort to help people and uh, give what you can. Can't say enough of a thank you to everyone who's put in uh, such a huge effort so far to help relocate and save lives uh, during this, you know, wildly devastating event. Um, You know, friends, family, they've been charging up boats, getting into the zones and, and really making an effort to be there for their brothers and sisters and you know, putting themselves in positions where they've got to help and it's fucking incredible, man. So, yeah, we just sincerely hope that things ease up soon, the cleanup can begin. I mean, there's going to be so much to do, but, you know, if we start pitching in quicker, then hopefully we can begin to heal that heartache and loss that so many people are suffering right now. Um, this episode is a special Ain't That Swell presentation live from the Usher Cup President's Dinner. It was a fundraising dinner at the Greenmount Surf Club. Uh, Smivy and I were asked to come along and basically contribute to what has become a fucking psycholy sick event up there. Uh, it's two years running now. It's a National Australian Board Riders Club competition uh, held at Snapper Rocks. Uh, it's instigated by the great surfing tribal elder, the Cooley Goat, the Order of Australia recipient, 78 world champion, Wayne Rabbit Bartholomew, and uh, the local Gold Coast surf mad, 
a madman. Uh, construction identity and basic, just fucking gnarly philanthropist. Um, head of the Usher Group, which he formed. President Theo, the man, the guy, Uncle Theo, Varictaris. And um, this event was specifically designed to give Border Riders clubs and their members, especially the Groms, something to look forward to in the midst of the global pandemic when fucking nothing was going on and everyone was feeling a little bit rattled and caged and claustrophobic. And um, so Smithy and I basically had the pleasure of hosting uh, this dinner a little over a month ago, which invites the presidents of the 24 participating surf clubs who, who made the journey from all over Australia. And they basically celebrate the weekend, but they also get to share the room with the heads of the 10 different fundra- uh, charities which Theo and Bugs have been raising money for alongside Usher Group. And this year they made over 120,000 bucks. So that coin that Bugs and Theo and the Usher Group raised goes straight back to the local community and to organizations that are aimed at helping everyone, you know, from the homeless, to uh, kids in violent or abusive domestic situations, to women's shelters, to aged care support, to animal hospitals. I mean, they've really gone around and got to know the community and the issues facing, you know, the Cooley region. And they want to make a difference. And it was just an amazing thing to be a part of. Uh, It's not the usual live show. It wasn't really even a live show. It was just a, a fundraising dinner. But there are some incredible yarns in here from Dean Morrison, Joel Parkinson, Ryan Hipwood, Nathan Hedge, and the all-seeing, all-knowing Bhagwan himself. Uh, Congrats to Snapper Rocks, who took out the event, and a huge congrats to Bugs and Theo, who announced during the weekend that the Usher Cup will be a global event in 2023, with board riders clubs from Maui, New Zealand, California, Bali, and more, all competing at Snapper next year for what will be, I think, the only international board riding club challenge in the world. So it is mad. Um, If you're in a club from overseas, get in touch with the Usher group, get in touch with Theo and Bugs, let them know that you're keen to be a part of this action because it could really go to special places. And not just that, you know, the weekend raises money for great causes. So... Here you go, folks. Uh, Hopefully, you're safe, you're dry. If you're not, then maybe there's something in here to at least put a little smile on your face. And we'll be back soon with some more sessions from the Usher Cup weekend, including the cosmic apricot himself, Rabbit Wayne Bartholomew. Hey, uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say... And I ain't speaking of find me. Cause I don't want to be a part of this fucking dumb wannabe tennis tour. You know, I think they got their his testicles so far up their mouths that this is bullshit. You know. I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the pull back, drop down, say bah. Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did battle some humongous waves. Oh, that's the table thing. Oh, surf looks good on it. Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are back. <laughs> Get a haircut. Yes, shredheads, waxheads, kooks and barnies. Welcome to the Usher Cup presidential dinner. I'm your host, the two-time Gold Cone Peace Award winning surf journalist, 
Scum Valley's finest himself, the punch drunk Pikey, the Sultan of Psilocybin, the Maestro of Micro Dosing. Smithy! Good to see you, Smithy. I'm joined here as always by my loyal co host and friend, frontman of the Goons of Doom, former editor of Surfing World magazine, Tracks magazine, Waves magazine, Vaughn. Rinsed corn, deadly. Thank you, Smitty. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks, mate. Thanks for the <laughs> intro. Can't Crowd's wait. going buck wild here. <laughs> Vaughn, we got to give thanks, of course, to Theo, Uncle Theo, the guy, our guy, uh, for putting this on, pouring an immeasurable amount of time, resources, and money uh, into this incredible event, and uh, also more broadly, his organization usher group which have managed to pull something off that uh decades of work for the doll schemes have not and that is to get pro surfers surfers of all kinds in fact gainfully employed so well done theo Hamad, well played that's right yep supporting grassroots australian board culture board riders club culture is the absolute legend and with the usher group supporting a lot of local charities here on the Gold Coast region as well, Smith. Theo, we're going to take a seat so that hey. you can officially welcome everyone to the uh, President's Cup dinner. All right, firstly, I'd just like to begin by acknowledging and paying my respects to the Yungumber people, the traditional custodians of the land that we gathered today and the land of which the Usher Cup contest surfs at every year. I'd like to pay my respects to their elders, past and present and emerging. And acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders here today. And I also want to pay my respects to all of you, your, your people, your elders, past, present and emerging. You know, we're all about community. We're all about unity. And tonight, well, over the whole weekend, together, we love, we surf and we support one another tonight. And it's at Asha Cup. Unity! Yupsie! Yes. All right, okay. I'm gonna bring up the Presidente, Mr. Jay Phillips, and the co-founder, event director, three times world champ, Bugsy, up to the stage. Cosmic Apricot. G'day, boys. Rabbit, Theo, Jay, awesome to be sharing the stage with you again, legends. Um, let's talk about board riders clubs and the culture and the significance and the importance of, you know, these incredible institutions. Because Smithy uh, is from Bondi, so he's, uh, you know, representing a fairly long and, and famous and infamous club down there. Smith, Mate, we invented this shit. First ever board riders club is from my hometown, in fact. Uh, so we invented this proud culture that we're all celebrating here today and not only did we invent it, uh, we literally shuttle over it at a uh, infamous teams challenge down there at Cronulla. Uh, I guess someone got ripped off by the judges and if you think copping a serve from the French firebrand Jeremy Flores is something, wait till you cop a chocolate soft serve from Will Weber on the bonnet after getting ripped off. But uh, in ITN the nude. Board, in the nude board riders, ITM board riders, shout out uh, to all my crew back home, Scum mm. Valley's finest themselves, represented here. Yeah. At, uh, Greenmount. My first uh, board riders club was New Brighton Board Riders. Uh, I started, I joined that when I was nine years old, and the club president was 17 year old Jeremy Biles. And uh, yeah, him and Smithy, they were, yeah, it was, it was raw days, mate. And they would have these sort of 
newsletters that they'd write by hand and they'd photocopy at school and hand out to the nine members. And it, it would say, like, every mum of every member must drop a chalky cake at Bowlesy's house so that we can sell it at the markets on the weekend and buy a new club tent. And uh, everyone would do it, but because Bowlesy and Smivy in those days were pretty prone to a few hits on the old uh, bamboo schooners, the, uh, the cakes never really made it, and as a result, New Brighton is still trying to get a club tent today. But, um, you know, like, I can say in all sincerity that those experiences being around, you know, the elders of, of our, our town, uh, their surfing journey, their legacy, it had such an important effect on us. Bugs, I'll start with you. The, the formation of clubs and the role it played in your development as a young surfer here up on the coast. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, <clears throat> you know, before I... Uh, I've been a member of Snapper for... Uh, about 55 years, but before that I was actually a member of Kira. Whoa! Yeah, 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 yeah. it's all coming out. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we lived it. It starts we... off somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I live right there at Kira. What's amazing is that the, the president of Kira Club, the guy called Paul Daly, mm. in uh, 1968, he dragged me along to a ASAQ meeting, which is a Surfing Queensland meeting, and I knew that surfing uh, had a pretty bad name. You know, it was a... It's a well, well-deserved image. I've got to tell you that. And um, Bondi's my, fault, clearly. Yeah. I mean, my, my first, my first Kira um, presentation night ended up in a massive food fight. And um, I remember there was a big photo of Queen Elizabeth on the on the wall, and Queen Elizabeth copped a sponge cake right oh, in the head. Oh no! So she should be. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you get the light, you nut. So that that was the beginning of it, you know. And, uh, but uh, but at this ASAQ meeting was some of the most respected men in this town. Uh, Billy Stafford Jr., uh, the late Gordon Phillipson, Barry Townend, and um, and I went, hang on, if these guys, John Dean, Wayne Dean's father, yep. and if these guys, some of the most respected men in this town, are sitting there running a surfing organisation, this must be a sport. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, But it was a kind of amazing that I, I went along as a grommet to these meetings and ended up being after I retired, becoming an administrator and uh, going to meetings, meetings, meetings. And what did you learn from your board riders club? You know, they're such an incredible, uh, you know, they cut across colour, class, culture, everything. Uh, you know, it's, it's intergenerational, You, as you said, hanging out with the old boys, the young boys and everything in between. You know, what sort of an imprint did it leave on you and uh, how did it shape your surfing journey? Uh, well, you know, it's a great, it, it's, it's mentoring, it's the older guys. You know, the, the best thing has always been the weekends away. Yeah. You know, the weekends away, down to Coffs Harbour, the Howie Maui, you'll never forget it. Oh, you'll mate. never get... <laughs> you won't forget it unless yeah, you you're know. knocked out by some gacked out bikey. Then you'll forget everything. Yeah, the, your, your first weekend away and you, you know, someone like Michael Peterson, you know, spews in your board bag. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Classic you know? gag, MP, the old spew in the board bag. That's, that's what we wanted to really get to the bottom of, Bugs. No, your sleeping bag, sorry. <laughs> that's <laughs> way worse. Are you kidding me? Wow. Uh, I wanted to know, mate, because, you know, the great thing about Board Riders Clubs is when you pick your team, you can have the world champion there, but you can also have the loosest unit in your whole town representing... I, I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> who was... Give us uh, an insight into some of the, the real characters who you've been away with on these trips. I mean, MP, obviously, but have you had a few members of the club where you're just going, oh, oh better not let this guy off the leash tonight? Yeah, well, well, my MP's got a brother called Tom. Uh, there, there, there was just so many characters back then. It was really back in the day of the characters. And, 
And, uh, you know, there was... It was like who could be the biggest animal, really, you know, over the weekend. And uh, these are stories that you just can't tell before bedtime, you know. That was one of the dynamics of our ITM board riders, actually. It was like, you know, you had the top brass, your Richard Crams, your Bill Powers, uh, your Webbers. But then if you weren't in that top brass, you had to kind of rise to the occasion with dick tricks, shit tricks like that. There had to be some level of skullduggery uh, to just get a bit of, I don't know, just you had to... Lift the, lift the team in some way. Mm. If it wasn't your surfing, it was uh, the wristwatch, the helicopter, these kinds of things. <laughs> the pelican. Jay, um, mate, what about you? I mean, you grew up, uh, obviously, with all the legacy of, of what Bugs and the, the generation before you had... had. What sort of impact yeah, did I'll that you, have? I've, you know, I've been under the watchful eye of Rabbit for a long time and, you know, I've, I joined the ranks in the early times and... Uh, you know, you do go through those times in the in the club where, where you start to fit in and your performances start to lift. And when you start lifting, you you you're 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 in another greater position to be able to do really well for the club. And and we did that. We did that. We were part of a great force through the '90s and the 2000s. And we just went on and just lifted the, our club to another position. And with lots of Watchful eyes looking over us like Rabbit and Bruce. And I tell you, if Bruce was looking at you, I tell you, you had to do good. <laughs> it, was, it was another... Man, I am grateful I'm here. I'm actually... I'm, 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 I, am, I am actually a big fan of you guys. You do a great job. <laughs> Mate, talk to us about the day uh, you became president. Like, that must have been such an honour. You must have been overcome with emotion. I mean, it doesn't matter which suburb or, or club you're from. That is a, a big deal to be nominated or, or made president of your local yeah, surfing well, First of all, there's got to be an assassination, though. There was, yeah. <laughs> and there had to be um, uh, Shane Bevan going to North Shore, board riders. But um, he's done a great job there. I was under him for a lot of years as vice president. And every year he used to always turn to me and say, I reckon it's your turn, mate. I said, you're doing a great job up there. All you have to do is just nod and say, we're doing this this way. And, um, yeah, there was, he's just went on to another, another level and with North Shore and great, brought great victories for them at the Australian Board Riders Battle. And, you know, we've done the same with him within, within the club with Dean Bevan and Shane taking us to a lot of victories with... Um, uh, Will Lewis, um, you know, Dean, Dean Morrison come through the ranks, Joel Parkinson. I think they just learned off my bad mistakes <laughs> and became great surfers, you know. I can't even hear a pin drop in there. <laughs> I can't even hear a laugh. But, um, you know, I think everyone was waiting for my, my stories. But, um, yeah, I was an extraordinarily young lad coming through the ranks and... Um, you know, I was, there was never a dull moment around me when it comes down to winning, and we, we, we were good at that. Bugs, Australian board riders culture, you've, you've played a huge role in helping it develop and grow. Like, what is it about Australian surf clubs that is so unique, and why is this the strongest club culture in the world? Well, it really does hark back to the, to the early 60s, and, um, you know, there's just, it's, a, it's an Australian thing. You know, clubs are, club land is alive and well in Australia. You know, we actually tried to get it going in the US in the 1970s and, and, uh, and it just didn't work. And, and lately they've got it going over there. I mean, 50, 60 years later, they, they just weren't club oriented where Australians are. And, you know, so it's just like all, you know, the rugby league clubs, all the football codes. 
you know, we, we love clubs and uh, it's a place where you, you nurture youngsters and um, there's that guidance and those initiations. Uh, it's all part of it, you know. What do you think, uh, it's interesting, you know, America never developed that board riders club culture. We did. What do you think they missed out on by not having that? And, and how has it shaped our surfing culture versus theirs? Do you think, Bugs? Well, they missed out on 50 years of away trips. <laughs> and, um, you know, well, it, it has... Uh, it has shaped our culture. I mean, all, pretty much all our world champions have come through the club ranks and uh, on the other side of their careers, you know, guys like Joel and Dino uh, putting back into the club. And, and that's what you do, you nurture. It's just a natural thing around our beaches. And, you know, I mean, uh, there's a lot of kids out there that kind of need guidance. Um, you know, we, we all, you know, surfers, it, it is a bit like herding cats. Um, but, you know, through the club, there's, a, there's just that little bit of direction in their life and... Uh, then the and the you know the the senior members uh, that really put back into the club uh, it it means a lot it it really gives kids some uh, aspiration. It's so true, Bugs. I you know I come from a single parent household and I went down the board riders are uh, you know twelve thirteen or whatever and there was you know I had a fucking a dozen cousins and brothers and fathers there and uh, you know that place raised me. I can't think of anything that's influenced me more in life. Uh, and one of the great things about board riders culture is that it's just the great equaliser. It doesn't matter if you've won a world title um, or you're laying bricks or you're you know, slinging disco biscuits out of the houses. Uh, <laughs> like, we all get along. That's the main thing. I mean, doesn't, doesn't, uh, wasn't one of your mentors Spot Anderson? <laughs> oh, mate, far out. Yeah, I wish I, could, I wish I could repress those memories. Yes, he was. Spot Anderson is an icon. I think he lives up here now. Theo, what, what was it about club surfing that made you want to start the Usher Cup, mate? Because, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can run comps. What was it about pulling all the clubs together that was attractive well, to you? Well, what happened actually at the start was when, um, you know, that dirty word, corona, COVID, whatever, it, it just pumped all the clubs. And it wasn't just the surfing community. It was all the, like, all the different sporting communities out there. Um, all the club rounds were gone. There was no no activities on the weekends. There was nothing for the kids to actually, you know, look towards or train towards, especially if they were like up and coming athletes, which was not just like the younger kids, but then those middle aged ones that was actually really focusing on a potential career. Bugs and I were getting together and, you know, the Usher Love um, program there at Usher, we're always looking for a flagship thing to do because we've been looking after charities for, you know, 19 years now. And, um, we come together and we're like, we've got to get the kids off the street, you know. We saw a lot of it happening, especially in footy clubs and the surfing um, clubs that the, the kids were just starting to get on, you know, drugs, alcohol, whatever. They just start turning into street um, pests because they just had nothing to look forward to. And then Bugs and I come together and that's how sort of like the, the initial concept come together. And we really wanted to support... The, the local clubs and the local community, especially because in a time when of that when it was around, like ch charities were struggling to get donations, just the whole community, the whole vibe started getting a bit down, and and that, that's what Usher Cup was originally spawned for, wasn't it, Rabs? And and um and now it's just turned into this you know beast, and we're just frothing it because it's just so good, and and everyone come behind us on it, you know, it's just like the right intent, it's you know just like um over the past two days, doesn't matter what what position the, the girls come or the guys come in their heats, 
you know, um, the girls, because they don't have the, the depth, of, obviously, as the guys, if there's 48 surfers in the girls, 96 surfers with the guys, um, you know, last place for the girls, they still get 50 bucks. You know, you come 25th, they won 300 bucks. You know, you, they come equal 17th, they run 400. You know, I saw a little girl um, yesterday, she was ninth place, she was up on the beach, um, she was waving her 600 bucks in the air, um, she got cash on the day and her mum was crying. You know, and... and Mate, that's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was fun, like, seriously, like, wow. I, you know, like, I, I was welling up about it because, I'm getting goosies now, but I, I was welling up about it because, like, you know, Ravs has got stories that he's told me as well about what that means to kids. You know, when you win something at an event, doesn't matter where you come, like, you leave there and it's tangible, like, and it gives them inspiration, like, I can do this, this is something that I'm working towards. And, and, you know, that's what this whole event is about. It's about, you know, gratitude, unity and community. Hey, man, praise oh. be. That was huge. Fucking oath there. You're the man. That, that little girl who, who walked Short away. <laughs> so you guys. That little girl who walked away with her first check. I've got to ask you, Rabs. Do you remember walking away with your first check and the impact that it had on you? Yeah, well, that's... Because you were a little street pest at one stage, weren't you? Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. But, uh... This, uh, no, no, I can't tell them all that. But I mean, like, no, but it was unbelievable. It wasn't a check because I was down at Bells Beach, 1973. There was an expression session on and I was walking up the stairs at Bells Beach and Jack McCoy was standing at the top and is handing something out. Now, 1973 could have been anything, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Cosmic apricots, mate. It might have been, it, it might have been the, the chocolate cake from New Brighton, you know, like, I mean, like, with a few additives. But I mean, it was, he was handing out, he was handing out $5 notes and I got up there and I got my $5 note and I'm telling you, man, it meant something to me. It was like out the Blues Brothers, you know, it was a sign from God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could buy land with five bucks in those days, couldn't you? Well, $5 bought lots of pinball and lots of thick shakes, you know, like, so, but it really actually meant something to me. And I, I told that story to Theo, I said, that, hey, even if you walk away with... I don't know what $5 is worth now, but it's probably about 600 But I mean, like, it, it, but it, you know, it is, it is tangible and it, and it meant something to me and I went, unreal, you know? I'm a pro surfer, thank you. <laughs> All right, folks, well, um, just while you're sitting there reading, we're going to call up a couple of guests. 2003 Snapper Rocks champion... The first Cooley kid to win at home, Smithy. And uh, a bloke who had a crazy journey on tour, got on there, part of that uh, conglomerate of just psycho talent, cracked the win, and uh, then he sort of went up and down and had uh, a few roundabouts during his pro career, but then he got off tour and just started packing mondo conage, waves of absolute mortal coniquence. And uh, I think he's one of the best blokes I've ever met. 100%. Let's get him up here. Dean Morrison. We're also going to get up another big wave charger. An absolute Hamad man. Ridden some of the most mortal cones of all time, don't you reckon? The king of the thundercloud. That's right. Me. Ryan Hipwood, come and join us. Uh, get back on protection, you mate. Dean, uh, a wild journey. Incredible to share it with your best mates. Uh, club culture, obviously, a big part of that for you. And uh, Mick and Joel. Yeah, I mean, it's... <clears throat> You know, uh, club surfing, everyone grows up in it. And um, just as a grommet, it's your first trips you do away. Like, I remember going away to North Stratty and Mont Lorraine taking me. And um, 
you know, getting to mingle with the older guys that you looked up to. Um, being a kid and, you know, getting them to mentor you at such a young age is, it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's priceless. And, um, you know, you get to make them connections when you're out in the water and, and then, um, you know, all of a sudden you just become a part of the family and they, all through your career, they, they mentor you, all, all through, your, you know, just surfing at board riders and stuff. And you look forward to it the most, like every month and that. So it's good. And just speaking of mentors, I mean, uh, we all know your story, but it must have just been unbelievable when you were a Grom spending all that time with Rabbit, you know, a bloke who knows the inside of Kira better than just about anyone. I think he had that famous quote that he said, you know, by the time you're in your 30s, you'll be the most barreled human alive. Uh, yeah, yeah. That pretty much rang true in the end, didn't it? Mate, it did. Second I'm, most yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Second most barreled, yeah, Jay. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you know, even when Rab would pick me up and uh, drop me off down at Jay Phillips's when I was 12 years old, them memories, you know, and uh, how amazing Jay is as a surfer and just getting to surf with him all day and... You know, it was just, uh, you know, I wouldn't go to school, but that was the best lessons I ever learned. You know? <laughs> As a kid growing up in the city, it's actually hard to fathom the surfing pedigree you got up here on the Gold Coast. Like, what was it like growing up in a, in a club culture as storied as uh, Snapper? Mate, yeah, I mean, I would play touch footy in that and at the barbecues and just getting to mingle with all the older guys and all the characters and stuff and you know I was young when I when I joined Snapper I was 11 years old and um <clears throat> you know you you just kind of that, it kind of just paved the way to you know I understood that the guys that I actually probably couldn't speak around because I'd get beat up or you know get a lot of grommet abuse and I just kind of navigated uh how I would around personalities and that and and then people would guide me you know and have Rab and Jay and Will and all them guys there that along, you know, on trips, I'd be the youngest kid and, and me and Joel, you know, are, are we, there's so many memories that flood back in my mind when I think about it. It's, it, it's, uh, I'm did, grateful for it. Did you avoid a few grommet bashings? Because uh, you were about the cheekiest grommet I'd ever met. <laughs> I was. I, I was a cheeky kid, mate. You know, <laughs> but yeah. especially if you're on the inside and you're on the outside, that's when you're really cheeky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even like, you know, I've, I've, gosh, I've known you for, probably 30 years too you know so just I mean it's just some connections you make and it's paved my life and it's formed um who I am today what about you hippo uh product of of club surfing as well mate yeah mate I um I was you know in palmy still am today and um mate it was a wild club <laughs> we had some pretty good times growing up and um yeah grommet abuse was pretty rampant in the early days of the, the clubs. <laughs> um, but, mate, I was a pretty big kid, so I kind of... I was going to say... I wasn't much of a smart-ass either, you know. I grew up around Fisher and Clint Kimmins and those sort oh, of they guys. They took so all the beatings for they you. They took all the beatings for me. <laughs> and I wasn't a fast runner, so I had to kind of, you know, pick my battles. Mate, how... Give us an idea, guys, because uh, there's a lot of clubs from all over the country here. Like, how tense is the rivalry between the, the, the clubs on this stretch? just uh, north of the border. Like, is it, you know, very tense? Because I know when we're up at Burley, uh, anyone who ventures north of the creek is pretty much taking their life into their hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, for sure. Um, you know, there's obviously, you know, it's, there's so many different clubs on, on pretty much each, each beach and each, each point. So, um, yeah, I, I guess there is that, you know, that sort of vibe and it's really competitive, for sure. Who do you love to beat? Palmy boys. Who, who's, who's your favourite club to we'll knock out? We'll take anyone, mate. <laughs> <laughs> All of them. All of them. 
A win's a win. Dingo, um, you, you've been uh, sort of moving into a new chapter of your life with Wave of a Lifetime. Give us a little bit of a rundown about what it is and, and what you do there. Yeah, so I just um, share my surfing experience with people and uh, using a jet ski and, and just, in, um, you know, I, I get to... A lot of surfing is about, about timing and being in the right place and with a jet ski I can put people in that position and, um, you know, people that, you know, usually wouldn't kind of get the waves that they usually, you know, that I can get them. Um, you know, that's kind of what I do now. <laughs> I'm you get other people barrel. That is yeah. so ironic. <laughs> it's like some kind of karmic hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I want to put you on the spot here, Dingo. Like, t- talk us through your wave of a lifetime, man. And, uh, and talk us through every step of the way of the wave. Like, uh, you know, the swell, uh, who was out there that day, the lead up to it. I'd love to know. Mate, um, probably uh, last year, me and Theo were at um, the jumping pin and it was, a, you know, it was a solid eight foot day. And um, <clears throat> for some reason, everyone was at, uh, up the, the southern end and we kind of had, um, we were down the northern end and it, we just had it to ourselves. And, um, <clears throat> you know, he, he got a couple of really good waves and then I was like, mate, maybe just get a little deeper if you can. And then there was a bomb, this thing, it was, not a word of a lie, it was as perfect as a wave gets, it was just a perfect eight-foot teepee. And I put him in behind it and then he faded and then come in behind it and the thing just opened up like as perfect as a wave gets and he was just so deep and it was so round and then it just spat him out I just I looked and it, it just brought all the flooding memories back of all the waves that I've had and how much it's meant to me and I had like a tear in my eye I was just like man that was the best thing ever and we high five and it was epic <laughs> it's so sick man it's so well, sick because actually great news Theo's got a signed copy of that photo of him in that barrel for everyone in the room tonight <laughs> So, good on you, Dingo. Yeah. Well, it's, it's you know, all the spiritual texts, you know, it's, it's better to uh, give than to receive. So, I mean, yeah, what, what made you get into this uh, line of work? Like, was it a, a sense of just wanting to give back, see the smiles on other people's faces like Theo? Mate, yeah, it was. I'd done a couple of days labouring and I, I was like, <laughs> I was like, fuck That'll this. do it. <laughs> I was like... I don't mind hard work, but I was like, you know, every five minutes I was like, I was looking at, the, at my clock going, when's lunch, when's smoko? Yeah. I, was, I was five minutes later, I was like, mate, I don't think I'm built for here. So I was like, i gotta, I got to try to do something. I was like, I might be slinging bags, I'll try this. <laughs> oh, it's about as altruistic as you can get there, Smithy. That's right, mate. Uh, Once you're clock watching on the shovel, it's all over. It's time to get a new job. <laughs> mate. What about your own personal wave of your life? Probably the first time I ever got chewed was what made me fall in love with surfing. Because I was seven years old, I was down the sausage growing a cure there. And no one, I mean, I didn't even know what it was to get barreled. And I actually, I, I remember taking off and it was like I went in this time warp. And I thought, and I, I, I had no idea. And I was, all I remember thinking was, gosh, I've been here so long. I must be, how the hell am I going to walk all the way back from Chugan back to where my dad is? <laughs> And then, I, that, that was my thought. And then I, I pulled off the back and he was still sitting out the back. I was like, and I, I had no recollection of what happened. I was like, and then my best mate was like, you know, when I was seven was on the rocks. Like, and he was like waving his hands around and that. And that was just, you know, for me, that was what started it. And it was just an obsession that I, that I chased and I still chase today. 
Amazing. And session of a lifetime, is there one that really stands out, like a, an entire swell or a session? Probably, uh, you know, probably the best way we've ever caught is at the right. Um, I'm, you know, I went down with Hippo about a week before. Hippo, uh, you know, let me, let me, uh, said, oh, have you seen the map? And I was like, oh, I just, when, when he says that, I'm just like, oh, great. I'm like, yeah, I guess we're going. And then, and when you, like, when you see Hippo's number on your phone, you start instantly shooting. Yeah, yes, I just kind of check it. Oh, how, you know, that's when I, back in the days when I was partying, I was like, oh, how long has it been since I've been partying? I was like, oh, it's been okay. It's been a couple of weeks. So, I kept getting, you know, I'm not, not feeling too bad. I kept getting texts saying, the wind's gone onshore, it's gone onshore, it's shit. No, no, it's still a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And so when you, you know, when you come into them big swells, like, everyone kind of evacuates the area because there's huge storms and it's all kind of going on and we're kind of coming in. So it, it's like, you know, you kind of get to know yourself a bit like, oh, well, you know, this could be the last swell <laughs> I ever freaking <laughs> go. But Are you actually saying like as you're driving to get to that wave, there's people are hightailing it out of town. You're going past the line of traffic because the storm's coming. Yeah, yep. Yep. So, yeah, usually you've got the boards on the roof and, you know, it just it, it's one of them feelings where you're, all I think about, oh, geez, I'm going to be so stoked if I'm on the car on the way home. You know, it's just <clears> – and then – everything kind of lines up and then you, everyone starts ringing the buoys and everyone's like, oh, geez, I've never seen the buoys so big. And you're like, oh, great. This is, you know, <laughs> this is. <laughs> but then, and then in the mornings, you're up early and you get out there and then it's just... Uh, is this the, like, describe that morning of that session. Uh, that morning we, we got up early. Did you wake up and Hippo's just like doing star jumps and chin-ups and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, everyone's just, you know, for me, I'm pretty quiet. I'm just kind of going inward and... And just um, thinking about, you know, worst case scenario and if it happens, how I'm going to react underwater. And um, just to make sure I'm calm, you know, because the worst thing you can do in a situation like that is panic. You know, um, as soon as you panic, it, it's game over. So you really want to <clears throat> keep calm. And if you get in that situation, just kind of want to drift off and let it do its thing and it'll let you up. And, um, you know, that morning was, um, it was, it was really big. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I remember... We, it was our turn and this wave come through and, you know, one of the local guys wanted to go, but, you know, I just told Brad, we're going. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I just, all I remember from then is just wanting to keep all my weight on my front foot because I remember just feeling like once I let go of the rope, I just felt the whole ocean just kind of engulfing itself. And I just went, I just, the only, you know, it was just, <clears throat> the only feeling was get that weight on the front foot because it's, it's, I could feel it and I remember about a couple of years before that I had a really bad wipeout at Chopes and it was because I thought you had to have your weight on your back foot, you know, because um, <clears throat> when it's sucking up, but it's, it's actually the opposite. You get all your weight in your front foot and you, you can kind of make it through. So that was going through my head and I just remember doing that and then I remember feeling the wave pitch out so far in front of me while I was going straight and then I started riding the tube like straight like that. I had to keep going straight. And then I got a rail in and then the thing just exploded behind me and then spat me out and that was the best way of my life. Wow. <laughs> That's fucked up. Uh, is, it, is it just the oddest feeling to be pointing straight, having the barrel going over the top of you and you've, you have got no rail purchase? You're just fucking going straight. That must just feel completely counterintuitive. Yeah, and it's, I just remember thinking, like, this is like a wave of big groin that I kind of grew up on. And it's, yeah... It, everything in that moment it's, it's beyond thought you know you just it's instinctual and you just you're feeling everything and but everything kind of stands still 
So that, then, that local guy that you're referring to was me, and I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I was so pissed off that I didn't get that wave. I was like, fuck. <laughs> Talk us through uh, whipping the right too. It's such a unique piece of ocean. Like, you know, what to do, what not to do, how to survive it. Putting someone in the right place out there. What are you looking for? Yeah, pro- Hippo's probably the best one to answer this question. You learn pretty quickly to, to read the wave because um, there's a certain part of it that has a kink. And um, if you generally see the local guys like not go for it, it's a, for a good reason. If, if, if it's got any kink this way, the whole thing just pinches out. But by the time you go down it, it's too late. You, you're fully committed. And um, yeah, it's scary. Mate, let's scary. go into your... Wave of a lifetime. You've got so many iconic ones, but the one that really stands out to me is that big bluebird day at cloud break, you know. It was sort of like 2012, but more perfect. Seemed to be taller. Uh, Is this the face plant? You know, the the perfect one. The perfect (laughs) one. That crazy, crazy, just big blue orb. Talk us through that swell for... And then talk us through the face plant. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it was actually... um, it was pretty early days. Like it was, it was when the paddle surfing thing really started to kick off, and it was before inflatable vests really took over, and, and you know the confidence level of big wave surfing really started to skyrocket, and um, and so we went over there, and there was a swell that uh, the year before that Laurie Towner, uh, that Laurie Towner actually um, got a, a huge wave on and had no vest and no safety and, and basically went over the handlebars. Oh, that was Laurie that did the face that, plant. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, that was, that was the first, <laughs> that was the first, the first big swell that Fiji saw that there was no tow teams and it was just, everyone was committed to paddle. And so I saw that and I was like, yep, I'm on next swell. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pad- everyone knew it was going to be a paddle session, you know, and, um, the, uh, the thing came up on the maps. It was huge, clean, no wind. And um, all the Hawaiian heavy hitters were there. And, you know, there was a small group of us from Oz that went over. And, um, yeah, I, I just rocked up. I had, you know, there was Bruce Irons and, you know, the Fletcher and all the big hitters were there. And um, I had a 611 that was custom made for it, which is well undergunned. And... Um, I just remember sitting there, I got one pretty good warm-up and then I had Kelly next to me and Bruce was outside on a, on a huge board and I'm just thinking, Jesus Christ, what am I doing? You know, I felt pretty, you know, uh, it was intimidating. It, it, the waves were so big, it was 20 feet and just pure glass. And um, I just remember seeing this wave come to me and Kelly was there, he was on a really short board too and um, I remember looking at me and I just... I just looked straight through him. I was like, and uh, yeah, I took off and it looked like a complete closeout, like a 20-foot closeout. And I knew it was, it was a perfect wave because if it has that sort of look to it, um, you've got to get going. And, you know, free fell at the start, caught an edge and just started pumping the whole way through it. And it was like as big as this whole surf club is huge <laughs> wow and uh, i just drove through it and yeah the rest is history can, can you just give us some idea can you just take us into that thing with you because yeah it was like this but there was not a drop of water i reckon it's the most perfect wave that's ever broken just about yeah I, i've never actually i've it, my board got to a point where it maxed out on speed and it actually started instead of holding a rail it actually started flattening out 
because it couldn't handle how fast that the wave was going. And then when it spat, the board actually lifted like that for a second and got weightless. And then I had to re-engage the rail again to actually, to, for it to push me out. Um, I just couldn't believe how big and how long the wave was. It was just, it was surreal. And it was actually really relaxing. Oh, yeah. So much space in there, so much time and space. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, once you're locked in and you've, you know you're coming out. Yeah, fuck, it was, the the craziest part about it was that I knew there was another wave behind it. And this was, we'll surf, I surfed in board shorts. And to do that now, it's, it's, it's not a, you wouldn't even consider it, you know. Um, so Bruce got the one behind and it was a, an iconic wave too. On that pink board? On the so pink long? board. And my wave was directly before that. So if I fell off of mine... I would have had that on the head and a two-wave hold down for sure. Fuck, man. That's yeah. such a wild story. That was such a courageous period of surfing. You know, we were just coming out of the whole kind of toe obsession and that was the very beginning of people just packing fucking Mondo cones <laughs> on uh, outer reefs. It was so fucking wild. Talk us through that transition because you were right there for it and, and, you know, where did you get the gumption and, and the, you know, the desire to put yourself in positions like that? Well, I, I, you know, after the Hawaiian winter season, myself and Mark would come back here. And, um, you know, we've just got crazy slabs. And, and so we were surfing places like the right that only just really had been discovered. And um, we are finding out pretty quickly how heavy the waves were because we had no flotation. And so we'd, we'd get two-wave hold-downs every single fall. Um, and he which, was he was uh, coming up from wipeout to the right with both ears bleeding and yeah you know, like we we both had really close calls at the right I um I blacked out on the surface at the right he busted his eardrums um yeah we I, yeah like nearly minute hold downs and and so at that period it was kind of like it was scary because we were pushing it and there was no inflation no padding. It was just wetsuits. <laughs> so I'm uh, glad that Shane kind of started that whole thing after he nearly drowned at Mavs. And, and now it's, you know, the, the sport's gone through the, gone crazy, but it's because there's that safety element. That, that safety element. I mean, there was drone footage from Waimo Bay the other day and there was like, it looked like 250 guys out. Yeah, like, it was crazy. I was out there. What, were you out there? Yeah, I was, yeah, I was how, out there. How was it? Like, well, how do you actually surf when it's like, Snapper, but it's you know, 50 foot. Yeah, you know what the thing is that when them big ones come around, the big black ones, there's actually not too many people that want them. And I, I wasn't one of them. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is, you know, I, I wasn't prepared for it. You know, I'm just a father these days. It's just nice to be out. But, um, you know, I, John, John out there was, you know, he was taking off with some nuts ones. Um, you know, Jamie Mitchell, there's some, you know, Kelly. There, there was a, the crew out there was unbelievable, but. It was, um, <clears throat> but what do, what do you make of the scene now? Like, I mean, you guys, as Smithy said, you know, when uh, that first transition from toe back to paddle started happening, there wasn't a whole lot of people sort of on that edge and you guys were there. You know, is it, a, is it becoming kind of like, I don't know, like how people reflect on these points back in the day before it became, you know, traffic jam out there? Yeah, it was a really special time because it just, there was such a core group of people that were doing it. It was like rock climbers or something that there's just such a core group and we'd all we'd all travel from different parts of the world but there was only like 20 of us doing it mm. yeah or maybe even 30 and so it was such a, a good um group of people and and we, we were competitive but 
we had each other's back because we had to, and um, and it was just yeah, it was a really special time. Uh, I think there was that one what you revived three people in one year. You had to bring them back. Yeah, that uh, yeah. So obviously the sports progressed a lot with the with the safety and stuff like that. But yeah, I think there was a time where I, I just had my second. Maybe third child? Third? Yeah, third. And um, I was kind of reconsidering big wave surfing as a profession because it was getting obviously, you know, really dangerous. Um, and, um, yeah, I had, I had Aaron Gold that drowned in front of us at Fiji. We had to pull him up by his leg rope. And then I went down to Victoria. And, but you're, it took you a little bit of time to resuscitate him. Yeah, to yeah, bring him back yeah, yeah. He, was, he was completely dead. And um, we resuscitated him on the boat. Came to, by the time we got back to land, he jumped off the boat and he was fully live. And, uh, Just yeah. threatened a couple of restaurants. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And then uh, three months later, I went to um, another wave in Victoria, a big wave, and my friend knocked himself out and he drowned as well. Um, but he, he came to pretty quickly. And, um, and then there was another one at the Cape Fear event where Jughead knocked himself out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, yeah, it's definitely a dangerous sport. And, you know, there's obviously, yeah, been a lot of deaths as well. How's it sit with you now? Both you blokes, you just said then, uh, I mean, you're both fathers, uh, got little rug rats running around. Is it, is it getting harder to paddle out on days like that? Or is just paddling out at the bay with 200 guys out relaxing for you, like <laughs> pulling into 50-foot cloud breakers for rhyme? <laughs> Mate, I, I was just kind of out there just checking it out for old time's sake, really. And, uh, you know, I wasn't breaking any records or trying to get anything. But So it was enjoyable for me um, just to be in the ocean when, you know, when that energy is kind of present. But those big swells, when you see them going purple, hippo, are you still uh, jonesing to get a piece of it? Or are you sort oh, of Look, I'm, I'm pretty humble now. Um, you know, the ego's been pushed aside a bit, but I still love it. You know, I'll, I'll still kind of... I'll still get the heart racing when I need to, um, but yeah, definitely not chasing it as hard as I was. I'm pretty content with that. So yeah, it's it's good to sit back and watch it um, unfold, and you know, just to give back to my kids. My kids love surfing, and you know that that gets me excited now. So yeah, good on you, mate. Just settle in, settling into later life, Smithy, with a little bit of dirt bike base jumping, you guys. That's the way to go. Thanks so much for coming up and having a chat, boys. And uh, thanks so much for supporting the Usher Cup. Good to see you. Dingo Morrison, Ryan Hipwood, a couple of absolute loon bags. Fuck, it was a golden age of surfing, wasn't it? It was. It was remarkable. As a pure surf fan, to watch that transpire, I mean, because you don't, you don't want to fucking borrow that shit. It's mind-melting. But to see people sack up, pack it, and get it done... It was uh, exhilarating just to watch, let alone to be in the throes of a pit like we just heard from the boys. What a description. <laughs> what a journey. Are you oh, kidding me? Hard to keep your, your food in when you're hearing those sorts of things. Pretty persuasive, if you ask me. Smithy, what comes to your mind when I say Bender Mender? I think of long, drawn-out piss-ups and goog fests at Churchill's in Kensington, <laughs> at uh, Judgment Bar in Taylor Square... At, uh, you know, just park life, all those kind of early noughties festivals when I was just still just scoffing white yes. doves like they were Ferrero Rochers, Vaughn. <laughs> and what do you think of when I say Siberian pine needles? What's the first sensation that runs oh, through your body? Oh, tingles, just tingles. 
tingles like the finest in Japanese acupuncture. Uh, the finest shakti mat. <laughs> Just the most mm, special alternative therapies that the universe can conjure up and send spine needling down your spine. Oh. <laughs> and what if I told you that Dr. V energy drinks are disrupting the global energy drink category with a healthy alternative made from unique herbs used by Russians to boost energy, stamina, and immunity. Used by Russians. I'd say they've got to ship a few cartons to the Ukraine. Stop! Mate, Dr. V, they've come on board with Ain't That Swell. Uh, We've mentioned them at the top of the show, but we're going to do it again here because they're the healthy alternative on the energy drink market. They are all sorts of concoctions, four different flavors, producing health, productivity, and wellness, mate. The range includes Brainstorm for faster, clearer thinking when you need to be on point. Siberian Rush, the pre-body workout lube to get the pistons firing. Bender Mender for faster recovery from what you said. Huge good doofs. <laughs> and uh, of course, Karma Karma for a gentle energy lift when you're feeling a bit fragile. No artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives or synthetic herbs. This is the real deal, mate. Yes, that's right, Vaughn. It's a healthy alternative in an otherwise toxic poisonous energy drink market and i for one welcome it vaughn i welcome it into my body like a cool gust of siberian air like a like a red hot russian scud right up your cornhole fully in not fully out but fully in (laughs) to help revitalize energize boost immunity and heal all my chakras and kundalini gooch spots oh it's magic mate get on the website drv.com.au d-o-c-t-o-r-v.com.au and get 15% off with the Swellian code Swellian 15% off from drv.com.au do it now let's get uh, North Narrabeen's Nathan Hedge arguably one of the most passionate club Border Riders club members ever Smithy I reckon Enough uh, to say. Every year at the Australian Border Riders Battle, you can hear the fizz coming out of Hoggy over the broadcast the entire time, even when he's not on the screen. And I think we'll pull up his old touring buddy, Joel Parkinson, as well. He's the 2012 Pipeline Master. He's the surfer, surfer, too. He's a sunny coast coolie legend. He's trained to Timbuktu. When it comes to professional surfing, he's our swellian guru. If anyone knows, you know who knows? Parkos knows. Parkos knows. Parko, this is so fun. Every time you come on the show, I feel like we're. It's going to be your last, or it feels like it might be, and then you're back. I know. I feel like I'm made hostess with the mostess around here. And uh, welcome back to Cooley. Jed, I, uh, you know, you're always welcome. Oh, thanks, well, mate. As long as you bring your worst behaviour, you'll mix in fine. <laughs> <laughs> Boys, um, I, I just want to start with the club thing because uh, you're both passionate club men. Obviously, uh, your board riders clubs mean a lot to you. But, Hog, it's hard to really think of a, of a more stronger-willed and more passionate club man than you, man. You really bring it. You just see the veins sticking out of your forehead like Angelina Jolie. And uh, it's just what is it about the North Narrabeen Club? How come it means so much to you? Well, I, I think it's just there's so many memories like growing up as a kid there and so much time put in the lineup and so much um, so many pioneers from that area and you know having my dad up on the sand dunes watching me surf and 
riding up as a Grom, like we used to live down south here, down the, you were there, mate, um, down Waterloo Street, so I'd have to ride my pushy up every morning and, you know, um, all through winter and you get up to North Narrabeen and surf, so, so much time um, put in at the break there and then so when, when you go out with your club's jersey on your back, it's just so much gratitude for what um, the beach and the break and the board riders did for my own life and my career that it's hard to not something just happens if the switch gets flicked and it's just it's on because i mean surfing's kind of like it's not selfish but you kind of surf for yourself you know it's not so much of a team thing but then when the you know your whole community and everything that shapes your life like same for joel like how he surfs is a tribute to the way that snapper breaks and the point breaks like you know it's it's, it's sort of like brings out your personality and who you are and shapes you as a person where you, where you go up and surf so i think it's um you know, all that comes out when I paddle out and surf in Narrabeen. It just, it just happens. I don't know how, but it just does. It does, all right. Sure does. Clubs are, clubs are, you know, that's how they are. And I must say, there, we were, I had this conversation today. There is no better opening surfer for any team in the country other than this man. <laughs> like, if, if North Narrabeen had five Nathan Hedge openers, you would be untouchable. <laughs> We're on touch. You've only anyway. got Dill Moffat, oh, though. <laughs> you haven't met Snapper Board Riders this year. But, uh, but yeah, but mate, um, it is. It's one of those ones, like Edgy says, like you wear for a club, you wear your thing on the. You wear it on your. You, you wear your heart and your sleeve more than you'll ever will, I felt. Uh, everything else is very personal in, in, in the sport of surfing in this country. Um, I only got. In my 20 years on tour, I got to represent like Australia once and. Um, yeah, and I felt like it was it was more of a it wasn't really a. Uh, I, I guess it was it w- we didn't really take it serious, you know. It was it was in a wave pool. It was the only time we did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And all and all Steph and Mick wanted to do was drink margaritas and bet on the tables at the casino next door. <laughs> 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 it was pretty cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. Um, I would say club surfing has way more pressure than, than even for your country in the country. Yeah, there's a couple similarities between Snapper and Narrabeen, in particular in the way that both clubs have normalised greatness. You know, uh, I mean, Hedgie, just to go back to Narrabeen first, it's a club that has produced so many greats. It's, it's almost weird if you're not like a, a, a pro, at least pro junior level surfer. Um, talk to us about just the effect that all those greats had on you growing up and uh, just the way it normalises high performance surfing and greatness, that club culture. Yeah, I think it's like anywhere um, you, you sort of rise to the level that, that you see day in, day out. You know, if you want to get good at something, you, you hang around the people that you want to be like and um, have those influences in your life. And being, my dad moved me up to Narrabeen when I was about 12 or 13 and um, just going up and seeing the talent and the depth. You know, there's pioneers like Simon Anderson and there was that, that time through the 90s between Manly up to um, Whaley because Potts was living up at Whaley too. So we had the most world champions of any of the world for that region, you know, you had um, Lane and Pam Burridge down at Manly and then you had um, Duma and BL and Potts. And they were all hanging out. They were thick and TC. So it was like all the world champions were from that area, a bit like how Snapper and the Goldie came through with the, with the boys, you know, but everyone was sort of... So that was sort of... I was sort of... When I paddled out Narrabeen, a lot of the swells, a lot of those guys were out there. So it was just like in the depth of like, you know, the Fitzies and the Banos and... There's too many to, to think off the top of my head, but real characters, you know, like um, like we've heard tonight from Bugs. Um, people that you knew when they stood up, you knew their style as soon as they stood up. 
And um, you know, it wasn't carbon copy. It was sort of like not trying to get the score. And um, there's a lot of um, a lot of really good characters and a lot of passion. And um, so yeah, I guess it's just um, there was. It really kept you humble too, because there were so many good surfers that you know, I found with a lot of the American guys like early travelling over there was a lot of hype on the Americans, and they would have big sponsorships and a lot of wind blowing up their ass how they're going to be this and that and the other. And the Aussies just like got on with it. And um, there was always someone better on the next wave. She so just paddled out and just got on with it. It was just like, no, go on, get to the back of the line. You know, someone better in the surf. And I think that was good for us because we just let the surf and do the talking. And um, I reckon that's a better way to go about it. And how hard was it to get a wave as a Grom in your generation uh, out at Narrabeen? Because as you said, it was just littered with talent. Well, I was pretty spoiled. You know, I started doing the search movies and I was sponsored by Rip Curl and sort of came under Duma Hardman's wing there and had a low hire and... Um, you know, I got my waves as a Grom, I think. I remember spending some time in the Gromit cage and getting taped to the pole up top. Um, didn't get pissed on, but I got put in the cage for a while. So it, it got way worse. Davo was heaps worse than that. He was, he was uh, yeah, full on. But um, there was... Um, no, I mean, lo- lots of waves out there, you know. It was sort of long pecking. When the waves come and you just know, oh, that's, that's TF or that's Simon or that's Dilma or that's Dean Graham or... That's so-and-so, and you just, you don't even look at the wave. You don't dare push it down. You just hang off the shoulder, and I guess as you start getting better and get more competitive, um, you start getting waves, and even as a 13, 14-year-old, you're starting to sort of have that fire and starting to get pretty good, and um, it's a pretty long line-up, Narrabeen, too, so you get, get a lot of the inside ones that the outside ones don't, don't come to, and um, so, yeah, you get, get plenty of waves. What about for you, Parker? Do you ever struggle getting waves out at Snapper? Ooh, just off Dingo, really. <laughs> Can't remember. <laughs> no, will. no, definitely. Um, yeah, it's exactly the same, mate. It's a, it's a young age thing and going through. I think, uh, you know, but that's the way it works. You know, it's, it, it is a slow, pro- slow progression, but um, it comes early, and especially like um, I found that, like Jay Phillips, for instance, would once I was like fourteen and actually knew how to ride a wave, they would start to you know coach you through and be like mate if you're in a position go they whether you got hammered or made it or you didn't make it it was one of those ones where they'd be happy to see you have a go you boys spent a lot of time on tour together uh you know you mentioned before hogs the great opener for uh for any for for north narrowband club i should say because the passion is there how many heats did you surf against him and how hard was it to match his level of froth when you had a, a battle Actually, don't have that good a ratio against Hog. Actually, <laughs> let, let, let's talk about this. This is good. This is good. This is good. Hog, he just started smiling the second uh, that question started. Eh? He's going, "Oh yeah, I'm ready." Fix that later, Morty. What What was it like prepping for a heat with the Hog? Because you Mate, guys were all he. He's pretty much fucking sent me into retirement. Like seriously, <laughs> I came out and I uh, I went back in a Kira Team Challenge and I was like, I've got Hog in my heat. <laughs> this is like two years ago. This is the reason I don't compete anymore. And I just went, mate, I'm not going to get in a paddle battle with Hog. And five minutes in, I'm in a paddle with paddle race with Hog and Hog. Oh, I just went, why am I doing this? Yeah. I've done it my whole life. And, uh, but, yeah, nah. There's, uh, we've had a, a few good battles. I did get you a couple of times. Don't worry yeah, about that. Nah, that's for sure, yeah. And you got me probably more than anyone, so. What, yeah, what, we we had f- one, one late night, Heater Mandaka and Joel Blaine, he couldn't see properly, couldn't see the yeah, waves properly. They, they held the contest off and they ran real late. He's like, oh, I couldn't see. Yeah, and then I got sucked dark. out in the rip and they, the jet skis couldn't find me because it was so dark, <laughs> <laughs> right? And I'm stuck outside of Mandaka in the dark. I'm just going, I remember thinking, is there really no sharks in Europe? Because this is bullshit. <laughs> like, bullshit. 
Maybe, maybe we should talk about the J-Bay one then with this, when the sun was out and it was afternoon, it was easy to see. Was it offshore breeze that in the was a, That was a, that was a <laughs> stitch up. You bowled me out that one real quick. Have you, got a, have you got a memorable moment from a heat together? Like, does anything stick out? I know you guys surf a lot of heats, but, but you two were part of a, a group, a generation that was a, a really successful generation for Australia. A lot of camaraderie, but also a lot of will to try and beat each other as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, no particular heat. It was just an honour to surf with Joel, really. I mean, just to have him in a heat was, you know, an absolute pleasure. And, um, but I think there was like a whole group of like 79. The boys were probably born in 80, 81. But there was a whole bunch of us that all qualified the same year. And um, it was sort of like Trent Munro and um, Tommy Witts and the Maccas and um, the American boys too, like CJ and Damo and Freddie Patashi. Like it was a gnarly group, the Lopez brothers. And um, so that, that calibre of surfing at that time was, was really gnarly, you know. Um, Got I, it. I, to be totally honest, I found it much easier to beat someone that I wasn't close to than I did was close to. So that's why Hog always fucking got me because we were good mates and uh you know there was guys that were way better surfers that i didn't really weren't close to and i didn't know that i i've even found it easier to be that's a crazy insight man that's i've never heard you say that in any interview or anything so like surfing against mates so like obviously you've got that underneath everything but for it to actually have an effect emotional effect on the you that you've got to really work on putting aside it's pretty yeah, interesting yeah i suppose definitely you know it was like oh, i know what you did last friday night <laughs> you'd be like oh mate, i'm god or you're god or whatever you know like you always think like you just know each other and you know the smirk the smile or whatever and i remember i had a heat with Corey lopez out here and i really didn't know him at all it was the first time i'd ever got to know him and he paddled out and i was like i have no idea who you are but i'm gonna I'm really going to get you, and um, yeah, and I and I went on and, and I won, and I was like, the only reason I won, he, then I got to know him after. I'm like, he's a really nice guy. I'm glad I didn't know you before I, be, you know, went against you. So, and um, yeah, I reckon Joel is talking a bit of shit. The eyes roll back, and he smashes everyone. He's no not friends way. with me. In the heat. Come on, yeah, why? it's like seven two, hey? me and you. <laughs> uh. well, I think like like for you. If I do stuff. come out of retirement, you're my first target, Hog. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was good times on the tour though, it was just like back then because you'd all like hire the car together, you travelled as a pack and a group and we're seeing that a bit this year with the, with the way the Challenger Series is set up because they're forced to kind of all be together and, and rally back together because that's how it was, eh Joel, like we'd go from a leg of two months in Europe and we'd all jump in the hire car and Joel won the contest, like he won three in France one time so he paid for all the combo and the hire cars and whoever did the best would pay for it so it was like we'd play cards or... You know, have these inner little matches and battles with, with outside of the surf comp that really brought you all together. And, you know, I'm stoked to see that that's kind of come full circle with the, with the guys now. And we're seeing it come through with the Aussie guys, Dill, and um, the guys on tour now, Coop. So we're rallying. You see an Aussie, you know, surfer, guys and girls do well. And there's that pack happening again. I swear it's, it's having a good effect. Because there's a bit of like a, a lag from it not happening, a bit of a sort of delay in the results. And I think it sort of came out in, um, you know, the rankings. So... I think it was um, it was good to all, all be together and because we sort of coached each other. Like Mick and the boys end up getting coaches when they you know went on to be world champs and stuff. But it was pretty. We just we'd put the spare board in the beach and sort of watch each other's heats and we we debrief each other's heats kind of thing because you just hung out you know and sort of we'd all hang down the beach till the end. Didn't matter if you'd lost or you won, you'd be there till the end and cheering each other up with the Aussie flag and it was just all all together. And um, I think that was something really special about um, that. That, that time. 
pretty pissed week if you ask me. Going to put you on the spot here. I think we've asked you this a couple of times on the program and it never really goes down well because it's a tough question, but best wave of the lifetime. We, we heard the stories from the boys and uh, it's just so absorbing hearing about, you know, waves that stick in your memory. Waves that like basically live with you like you caught it yesterday. Have you got one hog that's, that stands out? I can think of a few, mate. You've got a few tens that are just... Ten of chopes. The ten of chopes, mate. Come on. A couple. Yeah, the first one probably comes to mind is chopes, but to sort of let you in a little bit more was... Um, oh, my... Like, um, the one at J-Bay. I got a ten at J-Bay because, like, I fell off the tour um, in 2007 and went through some personal stuff and I'm pretty open about it. I went to, like, drug and alcohol rehabilitation and got my life back on track and I got, like, a little wild card from the tour to come back and do some events and um, I got to J-Bay. To, um, and um, it was a QS at the time, but it was, it was J-Bay and all the best guys were there. And, um, you know, I'd been to rehab for a year and a half and surfed a little Bolito comp the week before and got a ninth. So I got down to J-Bay and was just, you know, I've been sitting on, on my ass in, in rehab trying to get my life back together. And here I was back in a rash vest in the Billabong Pro at J-Bay, such an iconic wave and, you know, to get a chance to surf there again. And um, just to string together that wave and, and get a 10, it was just so much riding on it. You know, the, the sort of the, the manager at the rehab kind of said, are you going to go surf again or what's the sort of go? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I'll surf again or what I'm going to do. I just tried to get my life back kind of thing. And it came full circle and to surf that wave and to surf it how I did and all come together was the froth was there and the, the claim was there, which I claimed a lot. But if you sort of really knew what went into that wave to get my ass back there and to surf that wave and to have it come in and, and just, yeah, it was... Mate, you flogged the fuck out of that wave, mate. For that, yeah. <laughs> Upside down, backside hangers, deuce, deuce, deuce. Never, never oh, that was a beauty. I get, go and watch it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking really cold dinosaur, am. You got one, Parker? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I've told you mine before. Um, mine was in Hawaii. Uh at a long, another island of, uh, um, not, not Oahu, another island, I can't say too much, but it was a long wave and um, basically I'd surfed all day, I took four boards over for, to go surf for the day, I was broke all my, I, I was down to my last board, I'd broken three and um, I went from, I don't know, from here to Kira, it felt like, chasing a barrel to get out the end and in a big huge cave and I got all the way to the end and it just ankle tapped me and I ate shit and went over and I body surfed out and broke my board and after about a, uh, I don't know, maybe a, a 20 second, 8 to 10 foot tube and yeah, that was it. And that then was you it. And oh, mate, I still claim it as a maid but I never made it so. Um. It sounds a bit like Dingo's wave when he was seven. Fucking dead. Probably was. It probably was. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us up here tonight, lads. Great to have you at the Asia Cup. Joel Parkinson and Nathan Hedges, everyone. All right, well, look, before we get into the uh, auction, we just want to sign off the night with um, one last anecdote from the great Bhagwan. We've heard from Joel, we've heard from Hippo, we've heard from the Hog, and we've heard from Dingo. And I think, you know, you've probably ridden more waves than all those guys put together, Bugs. Do you have a wave of your lifetime that springs to mind? Um, oh, we had a couple out of Kira, but um, there is one that, that, that I'll, I'll, I'll speak of. It was at uh, the, the Banzai Pipeline in uh, 1985. It was a semi-final of the Pipe Masters, and uh, the year before it was 12 to 15 feet. This year it was 15 to 20 feet. It was, it was third reef pipeline. Mm. 
And uh, in the semi-final, I, I, I went out and I knew it fairly well out there. I knew second reef really well and I'd, I'd been out in the, out in the, uh, the meadow lands out there for spending a, a few seasons. And this one, I'd, I'd gone so deep that I was really next to a place called Rock Piles. And I was so far out that this, the, the waves hadn't even really actually refracted and were coming in. It, was, it felt like it was going down the coast. I got about a 20-footer. And I just took this drop and, and I dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped for about a mile. Mm. And as the wave built, and, I, and I, I finally did my bottom turn like right in front of the pipe house, like on the inside ledge in about this much water. And, um, and as I did the bottom turn, after about a, a mile drop, I realised I'd done it a second too early. <laughs> and I had to take another little drop and another little dip and ended up just getting spat out of this barrel. And it was just a, an amazing feeling, you know. And uh, that, that was a beauty. I know those ones, those big swells. Yeah, you know them well, mate. Yeah, they, they break way, way out there. They're way, way sort of... It's just the one thing about a surfing wave like that is that when you're actually standing in the barrel, and, and, and Dino and Parker know this for sure, and Hogan, is that when the, when the lip goes over, it is seriously like watching in slow motion this massive curtain going over, and suddenly you can't see the beach. It's, it's the most amazing sort of... Uh, you know, well, it's um, it's surreal, you know. <laughs> of course, body surfing's a bit difficult, though. But <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I actually, I saw Jack Robbo get one of those yeah, one I day. I was oh, sitting God, in the pipe yeah. house and I saw him way out to sea, yeah. way down the beach, exactly where you probably got yours one from. Yeah. The thing that blew my mind about it is how much time it takes to get to that first reef, you know. No, and no, you, no, you're just amazing. standing there. Yeah, There's no. not much else to do. <laughs> that's right. What's going through your mind? Because you, you've got so much anticipation for you know that's coming you know that yeah. first reef big drain is coming you got almost too much time to think about where to be on the wave actually this wave i got there's a there's a new york underground artist called basquez basquet remember him well that, he made a movie and herbie fletcher shot this wave and it's actually in the movie and it's um yeah it's, you're in a basquiat film yep mate wow. no wonder you're immortal you legend <laughs> hang on <laughs> hang on I was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> you were too. I've been in the good ones. Oh, you led. You know, Spicoli, Spicoli's vision. That's right. He was serving with Mick and Keith and, you know. Maybe Mark Cutback Davis or Bob Jungle Death Gerard would take the honours this year. Oh, those guys are bugs. <laughs> Round of applause for the great bugs, everybody. Fast Times. Uh, big, big news for the Usher Cup next year. Uh, it's really going to move into uncharted turf that we you have ready? never seen. Yeah. Tell us what it is, Theo. Are you ready? Are you sure? Yeah. All right, so Rabs and I have been working behind the scenes and, and this you know, amazing human here has been in discussions with people around um, the world. And um, basically, 2023... We want to announce to you now that just for you guys, it's the inner circle. We're going to announce it tomorrow on the live stream at 1 p.m. Keep it quiet. So keep it quiet. This is just for you guys, the inner circle. Next year, Usher Cup becomes an international board riders event. We've got Santa Cruz, San Clemente, Huntington Beach, Maui board riders, Padma board riders from Bali, and, and New Zealand are putting in a Raglan team. And uh, that's huge. It's mental. Look, it's so huge for us. We've been working towards this. It's been a, uh, a dream come true. The response that we've had from the clubs over there has been overwhelming. Yeah. They've just been like so frothing. 
And Rabs sent me an email last night just to show me something from the, the board chair of the US Board Riders Not-For-Profit League or yeah. whatever they are that sits above all the... How many board rider clubs are over in the US? Well, you know, in America, they, they, they took them 50 years to catch on to it, but now they've gone berserk as they do. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's like 60 clubs. And, like, they're just, you know, so so um, stoked and frothing to come next year. And um, the um, I spoke to... Um, one of the guys over there in Maui, they're overwhelmed. They're sending us like really amazing emails. This guy was so stoked to be part of the Usher Cup 2023. The Padma boys, Shaggers lined it up. They're coming. They're bringing the Bali boys over. Dino set up the Hawaii guys. Dino set up the Maui guys. They're coming over. The Robertson brothers are coming to surf in Maui. Yeah, it's just been so, and like the, just their response from the from them as well. It's just been so overwhelming for us, and it's gonna be epic. Like we're gonna have like a fucking serious yeah. international board riders event. But it's like a bit next year. It, but it, but for him and I, it's a bit like like this year. We you know North Narrabeen came, Torquay came, and um, North North yeah, and it's, a, and it's a whole thing. They're super stoked to come and surf Snapper Rocks. You know. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's kids' dreams all around the world to come and surf Snapper. It's incredible. You know. And but not just not just international, but you're getting regional flavors from yeah. those countries. Yeah, it's going to be right. sick. You're getting little yeah, suburbs. Right. But sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Theo, and and it's like that. You know, in the in the movie Nemo. You know, when the fish finally escape from the from the tank, <laughs> and they get across the road, and then look at each other and go, "What, what now? What have we done?" Yeah. <laughs> You guys are unreal. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, are you kidding me? 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 Kidding me? Kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Jesus, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. 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 You've got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me, right? You gotta be kidding me. What? You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? You kidding me. You kidding me? Kidding me? Are you kidding me? Kidding me? Kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Are 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 you fucking kidding me? You're not fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me?